0: hello and welcome to the game theory podcast i'm your host sam vasini i think i just blew out the speakers penny's reaction when we started recording there was just glorious
1: oh it was great I, I didn't get a countdown we're just right into it so glad i wasn't uh, flipping off the camera like Draymond or anything
0: <laughs> i'm your host sam vasini we are presented by the athletic we are going to podcast a little bit about the Celtics and the Bucks series. We're going to podcast a little bit about that uh, Dylan Brooks foul and the Draymond Green of it all, because everyone seems to be talking about that right now. Uh, we're going to talk about the NBA draft a little bit, uh, but first we have to talk about Matt Penny's headphone situation,
1: because
0: <laughs> they are the typical headphones that he wears here. Uh, He's in the midst of a, a treasure hunt right now for his AirPods, mm. which uh, his... his It has threatened to take him all across Boston from what I gather.
1: Yeah, it has. So there's a little bit of backstory. So I've been gone for the NCAA live period. I run events for the Under Armour Circuit. So I've been away. And my son is three, three and a half. I I talk about him off on the show. And um, it's at the point now where I leave. He's like, where are you going? I'm like, I got to go to work. He's like, take me with you. So I come home. I'm like, I owe him like a day. So we went to Legoland, which is right outside of Boston. He loves it. We've been there before. And um, just the nature of the business, I, I brought my, my AirPods just in case my pocket, right? Call comes from somebody, a coach, somebody needs something, a player, whatever. So we have a great day. We have fun. And then I get home. We pull in the driveway, and I do like the, the pocket check. And I was like, oh, boy, I, I don't have my AirPods, which is not great. So I look in the car, and then I remember I have the Find My iPhone app on, on my phone that my AirPods connect to. Great. So I go inside, and yes, they are at Legoland. So I'm watching them for like two hours. They're not moving. At this point, my son's napping. And I'm going away for the weekend with my wife because also I've been gone for two weeks, and we want to spend a a few days together. So I don't have time to go to Legoland. So my my good buddy, Kev, who lives in Somerville, where Legoland is, says, I'll go check it out for you. So he goes to Legoland And I'm like, hey, when you look around, like, can you? he's like, I'm not looking around. Find the first guy in a yellow shirt and saying, like, have you found AirPods? And he says, no, I'm out. Like, fair enough. So no dice there. I, I can see that they're there. Nobody turned them in the front desk, um, and I didn't have time in between. So I'm like, it's kind of roll the dice. I hope that they're there on Monday when I come back. So before we leave, I, I pull up the iPhone app, find my iPhone, and the headphones start moving and i'm like oh i I hope they i hope they go to the front desk and then they leave the building so i'm watching this thing on my phone it's like a bad like 2d movie i'm like watching these things like escape they go to like two stores they cross the street i'm like oh no it's going to the train station so i'm watching my airpods like take a train down to like downtown boston and uh I, I also cued in my other friends on this, so they're getting a good kick out of it. And it stops. It finally stops. And it's like a four-way stop. And you know how sometimes it says, like, a general area? Like, here's, like, a, a big circle, like a radius. It doesn't say, like, the exact spot. Yeah, 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 And one of the places is called the Greater Boston Bigfoot Institute. So I, I text my buddies, and I'm like, are, are we going to go fight Bigfoot right now for my AirPods <laughs> to come back? Like, what, what's the end result here? So I have to, I have to look it up, and the Bigfoot Institute is actually – this program where it um, it's like reading and writing for inner city programs. And they do that like that crazy name to get your attention for what I did. Um, Luckily I have a a ring of loyal friends where I say we need to do something. It's it's like Jim in in the town. Like whose car are we taking? I was going to say, you're literally (laughs) like
0: Jim in in the town right now. in Boston, But
1: but I'm on a group. We have to go hurt
0: some people at the Bigfoot Institute. you can't there, there's,
1: ask <laughs> there's like eight people on there and six of them were like dude it's over like you're, th- those things are gone and one of the buddy was like hey if i have to swing by and drive by it's like no we're we're good so they didn't move for four days so i'm guessing somebody just got there they were locked like you couldn't do it because it has my account on there it says please call my phone number or my email i bet somebody just like saw the bigfoot thing get spooked threw them in the trash so I, I bought a new pair they were uh they're here today but a lot of people found some humor in that. Uh, I did. It wasn't worth a couple hundred dollars worth of humor, but it's a good story that Bigfoot technically stole my AirPods from Legoland and we're back here in the air now. So all's well that ends well, I guess.
0: Bigfoot stole your AirPods from Legoland. That's the story that we're going <laughs> this, with. This
1: is here. my life. It doesn't make sense to me either. <laughs> oh my
0: God. Okay. So the other thing you did this week was you went to the Celtics Bucks game. I did. So, Shout out our mutual friend who got really good seats. I would imagine,
1: right? They were they were great seats.
0: Tell tell me about tell me about the experience. Tell, tell us about the ambiance of going to a Boston Celtic playoff game before we uh, ba- uh, before we ba- dive into the actual game.
1: Boston's a special place. It's a special place to playoffs because uh, I we met a couple other friends and. As we walk in, I'm I'm a little bit older now. I wasn't as like juiced up with like the pregame stuff, and we're, we're going. We you know we we pay our tickets. They they scan them. We're going like up the escalators, and people are already screaming like "Let's go Celtics!" And, like pounding on the walls. I'm like this is like a a lot very early, and people were um, very excited for for the game, and it was a, a crazy atmosphere, especially in the first quarter. And my one kind of like side note is that uh, G Easy, the rapper, the pop star, was there sitting courtside. And, geez, he's from the Bay. So he's a a Golden State Warriors fan. I was a little thrown off there. But he's wearing Celtic stuff. Uh, I never felt more like a peasant when I saw him change his sneakers during halftime. Like, he had sneakers on, like designer sneakers. And, like, somebody from the back came with, like, a new pair and gave them to him and left. And I was like, what is happening? Like So I I did the digging. It it turns out uh, one of them, like, cracked in the heel. He was prepared for it. So somebody from the garden had, like, new sneakers for him. So he had that going on uh twenty thousand fans like out of their minds. The game ends. We'll get into the the meat of it right now, but the game ends and everyone hits the streets and you see everybody like coming down the escalators outside and they break into a FU Kyrie chant. I'm like, this is it. Or we're, we're in Boston. This is this is what we gotta yell about. It's either Yankee suck or F Kyrie. Uh so beautiful experience. I was happy to be there.
0: I love how you describe your hometown as just a beautiful, special place.
1: Oh, it is, man. It is. It's it's crazy.
0: (gasps) Oh, my God. Okay, so let's talk about the game. The first game with the Milwaukee Bucks was kind of a nightmare for Boston, it felt like. Just nothing really went right. I thought that Boston didn't do a good enough job of creating opportunities for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to get going. It felt like during that game, the Bucks were very happy to allow their role players, the Celtics' role players, to be the ones to take shots. And often they allowed like open, like wide open shots. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like Peyton Pritchard in Game One just missed like three open threes, and those are shots that you trust them to make. But the same token, in the playoffs, if you're going down, I think you want to go down with your dudes, mm-hmm. and that's it. Seems like what Milwaukee's idea is, is they want to stop Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And if the Celtics are going to beat them, they want Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, uh, et cetera, to be the ones to defeat them in game two, though, it felt like Ime Yudoka did a better job of getting Jalen Brown, like isolated on the wing or getting him the ball on the move in order to kind of, you know, facilitate him getting into the mid range to get easier jumpers. And it, because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown ended up scoring 59 points in that game, Mm -hmm. it opened up everything else for the rest of the team. And those shots that the Celtics got with their role players, uh, they ended up falling in game two. Like I think that both of these games have been such heavy three point shooting variance games on both sides of the equation. Uh, You know, I think the Celtics shot like 51% better from three in game two than the Milwaukee bucks, like some crazy number like that. And it, it's just interesting that this is where we're kind of going here. Uh, with this series, like it, it feels like the whole idea of what Milwaukee is trying to do to shut off Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown and force the other guys to beat them. And in game one, the other guys didn't beat them in game two. Uh, the Celtics did a better job of involving Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but the other guys were able to beat them. Like, it, what was kind of your take on the game? Like, it felt like a strange kind of atmosphere—not atmosphere, but like it, it felt like the you know it was like a twenty-five point game at halftime, and it was kind of over. And then uh, it, it just felt like a weird, weird game. Now that we have this series that we've all been looking forward to. Both of the first two games have been blowouts, one one way, one the other way. I don't really know what to do with this series now.
1: I don't either. And and both teams and both sides will adjust to it too. And you mentioned Tatum and Brown. Like game one, I think they combined for like 29 shots and game two is 38 shots. And early, I mean, Jalen Brown was otherworldly. I mean, the footwork, the shot creation, he cooled off late, but they had built enough of a cushion at that point where it wasn't a problem. And the three-point shooting, I mean, for the game, the Celtics from the field shot 48%, 47% from three. They're 20 for 43 from distance. They've taken 98 threes the last two games. That's the most of a two-game stretch since late December. And those looks, and, and uh, Grant Williams alluded to it in the post-game press conference too, the ball movement was like basketball poetry in motion. It wasn't the extra pass. It was like the extra, extra, extra pass. Like Derek White was like, nope, you're good. Peyton Pritchard hit his back. Horford jump fake. Opposite. Horford had one like sneaky one, like at the end of the shot clock where he hit it, where it's just like 50 passes and he was wide open. And that's why you get even better looks. I mean, some of the stuff is contested game one. Game two, when you have the open looks for Grant Williams, for Jalen Brown, for Jason Tatum, for Peyton Pritchard, those Jalen Brown six for 10 from three and Tatum five for 10 for three were a lot cleaner looks too. Where, where game yeah. one, it was like they had to work for him more than they did. And the, the tipping point for me was the fully actualized version of Grant Williams. When he has yeah. 21 yeah. points and 5 rebounds while doing his best to disrupt Giannis, and you're never going to fully stop him. It, it is like the corny like you just hope to contain him, but that's what it is, and the Celtics and Grant Williams specifically showed him different looks. They gave him space. They dared him to shoot. Then, like when he did go downhill, Grant used a strong upper body, bumped him off a little bit. They were really physical, and Giannis was exhausted. He got a delay game warning in the second half where he scored it and caught the ball and just like took a deep breath and looked at the refs like, Can I get a call? And and he's a as hard of a guy to officiate anyway because he's so big and strong and the epitome of like a, a downhill driver. It's almost like sometimes when you're pulling to the driveway and you like you hit the rock wall and you go backwards and you, like just go right into it again. He he doesn't have like the the left and and some of like the crap, but he's gonna score. He's gonna get there and use yeah. his like long arms to extend. So he he worked for those points and Milwaukee tried late, and that's when they chipped away at the lead with those like inverted pick and rolls when Giannis was like coming off and hoping to get a switch. So he switched on to Horford and Robert Williams used all his five fouls, but it it just was too little too late because it was such a big hole based on the strong Celtics play of the first half.
0: Yeah, and it's probably worth discussing Grant Williams is like an awesome development story for the Celtics, if only because this is a guy coming out that I really liked. I think this was the draft before you and I really started podcasting together. If I remember correctly, yeah. uh, did you like Grant Williams pre-draft?
1: Uh, I liked him, but I liked him like in this range. I, I wasn't somebody who thought that, yeah, this should be like a top 10 pick. I, I thought 20 to 30, if I knew he was going to shoot like this from three, I would have been higher, but his percentages improved and, and he has been a lot better. And there's people around Boston The first year or two, I don't know if you'd say a bust, but like, what is his role? How does he fit? Because he doesn't have this traditionally structural archetype of like, this is what a a front court positional player is in the NBA. And when you shoot like that from three, and then you get in the crunch time of the playoffs and you're defending one of, if not the best player in the world, the way that you are, it makes sense. But you have to have a little bit of belief in it too. it took some time to get there. I think even for the Celtics and now they're reaping the benefits of it
0: yeah like people who know my work you know going back years will remember that I went out to Santa Barbara he's represented by Bill Duffy's agency and you know I was lucky enough that they you know allowed me to come out and hang out with Grant Williams essentially for a day and watch him work out and you know talk to him for a while and the the thing that just like immediately stands out with Grant is just the sheer intelligence level. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one of just like the smartest human beings I've ever talked to. Like forget like basketball players or anything like that. Like he's just a really intelligent human. And the way that he defended Giannis. Last night was just a really, really intelligent way to go about it in the way that kind of you said he gave him different looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, got his body into him. He's super strong. Like the, when I talked to P3 about him, they said that like his like ability to displace uh, was like on par with like the strongest players they've had through their, um, Database at this point uh, and they Have a database of like hundreds upon Hundreds of NBA players that have come through there And gotten to train with Them uh, I Think that that level of strength Is essential when You're playing a Giannis Antetokounmpo And on top of that he's just a really Intelligent help defender uh, he's A really intelligent offensive player Who can make passing reads like it's Just across the board that Level of Like thoughtfulness, it it just completely permeates his game in a real way. And the question was always just whether or not he was going to shoot it. And I had some doubts. Uh, He's always been an elite level worker. So I thought that, like, he would get to 35% off the catch basically and would be fine in the corners. I did not expect Grant Williams to be a 42% three-point shooter or whatever the fuck he shot this year. (laughs) Uh, Him being like a 42% three-point shooter, if he keeps this up long-term, anywhere from like 40 to 42 on three to four to five attempts Mm -hmm. per game while playing the defense that he's capable of, this is one of the most valuable role players in the league at that point. Like if he's doing that and he is able to defend difficult players – while also sliding down to the five sometimes because of his strength, like, has immense potential. Like, he is easily an eight figure role player per year.
1: Yeah. And, but you have to, and, and to what you're saying too he it's still like a role player. Like I wouldn't want to be a franchise where it's like, he's our number two. He works because of the role. I don't think
0: I would want him as a number three or four either.
1: Great. I, I was trying to be nice, but my, it's the same thing with Robert Williams. And I was thinking about this during the game. We talked about it a little bit last podcast. Robert Williams had 10 points, five rebounds, five fouls. He has standing ovation when he checked out in the fourth quarter. If he was the fifth pick, and did that where he's kind of projected pre-draft and during the his his last year on campus, it would I don't want to say it'd be a failure, but you'd look at it through a different lens. So as like a role player in producing and going above that, I mean that's like the the actual value. But with free agency, you see teams have to pay more to get those guys and they want yeah. greener pastures and be like that player. I don't know if, if grant's that. But transitioning this to like a little bit of draft talk. Grant Williams took 103 three pointers in three years at Tennessee, so that's yeah. why it's like hard because like how do you even project that? Because we're now creeping into the combines two weeks away, we're we're getting really close into like draft workout video season, which which I like, but like people don't miss. So you think everyone could shoot every year? We say, well, you know what, the shot looks a lot cleaner. Like he's getting you off on. No Willie Culley Stein.
0: He's going to shoot threes,
1: baby. But, but but again, it's like all these prospects; it, they look great. I mean, Robert Williams hit a 15 footer last night, and there were some tweets being like, "Mid range game coming soon, maybe." But like, I don't; I'm not betting on that. So for for Grant Williams to shoot 40 plus percent, I just never saw it coming because of the the limited number of shots that he took. And he was still a 29 percent shooter over a hundred attempts, and it's it's the epitome of a, yeah. a small sample size. But there wasn't like, oh, there, there's so much more here than, than what it was. And that's initially some of the hesitation in Boston where, how does this guy fit as a 6'7", 240-pound, non-shooting frontcourt player?
0: Yeah, and look, like I, I understand it to an extent, right? Like, Grant Williams, the signs were there that there was some upside. I didn't think that it would be this upside, to be sure. But... Th- there were signs that he could be a reasonable three point shooter, including like being a, an 82 percent free throw shooter when he was at Tennessee that last year.
1: Yeah.
0: And like his work ethic being elite, like his character being elite, like he's just very professional in terms of the way that he goes about his business. Uh, he's still like not. You know taking movement threes you know what i mean like he's not a you know three-point shot generator he is jason tatum and marcus smart and um derrick white and jalen brown like they're generating threes for him and he's capitalizing like when you watch duncan robinson or even like max Strus. i just have the miami game on right now is why i'm you know bringing Miami-ing up those guys yeah, like those guys can generate three point shots as role players. Um Grant Williams is never gonna do that. And that's okay if he's knocking them down while also being an effective defender. Uh it, it's interesting, man. Like I I trying to figure out how to go about like when you like look when I watched Grant Williams work out in person, like forget the you know, workout videos or whatever, I was like, yeah, like he is upside shooting, but you know, it was not it, w- it wasn't like, oh, my God, like it's already turned. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's already turning into a thirty five percent three point shooters rookie. And we saw that as a rookie, by the way, he missed. Didn't he miss like his first twenty five threes as an NBA player? Oh,
1: it's good. And then yeah, like, there, there was a running tally.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, last year he shot thirty seven percent from three, but it took it took a bit of time right for him to have taken this leap is beyond what i think could have been a reasonable reasonable projection as a shooter but i think that because there were signs that he could get to a reasonable level as a shooter and that honestly like i felt pretty good projecting him to get to 35 36 from 3 I still think that because he does so much, these are the guys worth investing in. Like if the three point shot is just a little bit of a ways away, but he does everything else processes the game at an exceptionally high level. I think that it goes to show how drastic the leap is in terms of what happens when you become a great shooter. Um, it's exponential in terms of what your value is as a player once you start improving as a shooter uh, because it just allows teams to keep you on the floor in important moments uh, in critical ways.
1: Yeah. And, and sort of with Grant too, I, I don't want to like get too crazy because Marcus Smart was also out. So there were kind of additional minutes and, and shots and attempts for him to yeah. have. And, Game one, Milwaukee blew Boston out of the water, and then Game two, I didn't feel great, and Boston blew it out of the water. It, it's gonna measure out too. like it's it's gonna balance. Like I don't know if Grant Williams is gonna come back and and have twenty five points in Game three. I don't know if Jalen Brown's gonna have twenty five in the first half like like he did again. Yeah, uh, but, Look, but the, Grant the, Williams
0: the, not gonna go for twenty one again.
1: You I, know, what probably, not, like, pro- probably, probably not. Probably not. Uh, but it but it helps it helps when these guys come alive during playoff time, and then we search for the next Grant Williams or the the next fill in the blank, Robert Williams that slips through the cracks.
0: And by the way, this is why I always ranked Grant Williams as like the number two prospect on the Celtics behind Jason Tatum or behind, you know, the number three guy behind Jalen Brown. Uh, Whenever I was doing rookie scale rankings, it was because his game translates to being an extremely impactful player. As soon as the shooting comes, uh, you look at the minutes he has played in the playoffs. He played 21 in the first game against Brooklyn, then 32, 33, 33, 29, 35. Yeah. And yeah, you can say that the 35 numbers because Marcus smart was out, but he's continuing to make an impact in the playoffs. Even when he scores seven points, like he did in game three against Brooklyn or eight points, like he did in game one against Milwaukee. I, uh, he dropped 17 though in game two against Brooklyn, he dropped 14 in game four against Brooklyn. Like if he, if it's once every other two games where he's going for double digits and then impacting the game in a variety of other ways, it's critical. Like it's absolutely critical. And I think that I'm glad we're talking about this from a draft development standpoint, because trying to find these guys is hard. Like it is harder than what we thought. I identified Grant uh, as someone that I really liked because of the intelligence levels, but you know, there are a number of other guys that I missed on. Right. Um, oh, we, all,
1: we, we, we all miss, I say it all the time, but, but it, it's good because it also shows that, that like uh, not a lot of people, but some people after like pick 15 or 17, like, ah, whatever, it's just scraps. Like take whatever, right. no 20 to 35, 20, to 40, like has value. Sure. You're going to have some draft and stash, some wild swings from 45 to to 60. But like, but right. like bones Highland last year, like that's another one where I was just tired and, and then collectively, we both liked him. And, and he was a, a contributor. Like, guys can yeah. be picked in that range and, and outplay their their rankings. We've talked about Herb Jones ad nauseum. Like, like he's exceeded any expectation I think anyone really had. But that's why NBA teams have really deep scouting uh, reports and then depth of everything from just on the court and off the court, what they think developmentally the guy can project. And when you yeah. hit, it makes a big difference because you're paying your your top stars $20, 25000000 million a year. But numbers four and five matter so much more when, when those guys are taken out of their game or it makes it so much easier when you have to close out to Grant Williams. And now once Skip passed away, you, you have to choose, are you actually out on Jason Taylor or Jalen Brown? Like, pick your poison.
0: Mm-hmm. And on top of it too, like trying to determine shooting upside is somewhat difficult as well. Like for instance, like look at Matisse Thibel. Like this is another guy that I kind of identified that I didn't think he was going to shoot it well. Cause I didn't like how like firm the ball came out of his hand. I thought that it was a little bit flat. And I thought that as you move back toward the NBA line from the college line, Matisse took a lot of shots basically right on the college line at Washington. And if you go back through his years at Washington, like he made a good amount of them. He's a 36% three point shooter on four attempts per game. But you just kind of watched the shot, and I didn't love yeah. the shot mechanics. I didn't think it would work. But, you know, Matisse was really valuable for those first couple of years in the NBA. He's made all defense teams, right? So, like, that's an example of a guy that like I had in the 30s in that same draft with Grant Williams That's the reason I bring up Matisse, right uh, and didn't really love, but he's proven to be worth a you know 20s overall pick, right?
1: Yeah, he was he was drafted by a team I'm familiar with.
0: Yeah, but they traded that pick. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. For, didn't they but, trade that pick for Grant?
1: Yeah, but but it's like some of those trades do. It's like uh, the Desmond Bain thing will drive you nuts forever. But you you have to still find your happiness in, in hitting your Grant Williams too.
0: And I, I, by the way, like no disrespect to Matisse Theibel, but I would much rather have Grant Williams than Matisse Theibel
1: yeah, moving forward. He, he's coming off a great game. I'd, I'd prefer to have him too.
0: Well, even not coming off of a great game. Like if you would have asked me at the end of this regular season, I would have said I'd rather have Grant Williams because Matisse Thibel is struggling to shoot. And I think it's hard yeah. to keep him on the court during playoff games. Like we've seen that already. That, you know, the, the Philadelphia 76ers desperately need more dudes that allow them to go small at times uh, against Miami. And it's hard to keep him on the floor because he just doesn't shoot well enough.
1: Yeah, it uh the the tables turn quickly. I mean, a year ago we may have been sending something else, but some hot shooting and some development. And that's that's how we get here. Which uh, that, that and that's the beauty of the draft, and that's why I hate redrafts and I, and I hate like a year out being like, oh, who do you take? Do it three years yeah. out. Like at the first year, I get it, it; it's a fun exercise, but that's also not reality yet either.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's go next to this Warriors Grizzlies series that the Grizzlies tied. Uh, last night and it feels like a weird series to me like it feels to be honest like the warriors are outplaying them to me pretty like by a pretty substantial amount Mm -hmm. and it feels like it's going to go that way like it feels like the warriors are going to win i respect the shit out of the grizzlies for competing in the way that they do and john morant has just been ridiculous Uh, i mean the, the 47 that he had last night was absurd. Like a, every single time down the court, it felt like he was going to score. Having said that the series is now like kind of marred by these weird flagrant fouls that keep keep the scene happening. Uh, that was not English, but okay. Uh, the first <laughs> know, game I, I, I was, yeah, the first game was Draymond Green getting ejected for a flagrant two against Brandon Clark that like, frankly, I don't think should have been ejection worthy if I'm being completely honest. Like, but, I think it was a flagrant one.
1: And, but we're supporting Draymond for immediately recording a podcast afterwards as, <laughs> as podcast guys. So, more power to you. I uh, guess I'm going to say, here's my pod. Great.
0: Yeah. I, I thought that if he didn't try to hold up, like, the fact that he tried to hold him up, it made me feel more sympathetic to what he said, but, or to, like, what his... Decision making process was there, but I also feel like it's the reason that he got ejected because it <laughs> created like that weird whiplash right. effect. Like, he shouldn't have done it basically, like, he should have just fouled the guy and that should have been it. But because like he tried to grab him after it, like, created this weird look. And I, I still don't think he should have been ejected, but you know, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. The second game, Dylan Brooks gets ejected for. One of the dumbest fouls I think I've seen committed in a while. Uh, Gary Payton Jr. is flying in to try and go up for a layup or a dunk. And Dylan Brooks just, like, comes across. It looks like he's trying to contest, uh, like, Gary Payton. But he doesn't actually jump to contest. Like, it's a fake contest. And he drills Gary Payton in the head. And then Gary Payton goes down and fractures his elbow because, like, your reaction is to, like, try and land, you know, somehow. I have no idea what Dylan Brooks was thinking. Do you have any idea what Dylan Brooks was thinking
1: doing this? I, I don't. I don't know if he had a flashback to like 80s basketball and he thought that that was like okay. We dust off these clips of like the, the Celtics, Lakers, 76ers, Pistons all like punch each other in the head. Uh, it and was like. like I, don't, I
0: don't. I want to be clear too. Like, I don't think that he intentionally tried to hurt Gary Payton at all. I think it was just a dumb play.
1: It was just. Uh, it just looked from if you look at it quick in real time, it seemed like a, a WWF clothesline. Like I, I don't know, was he trying to block the ball? Like he was in the air, uh but it, it was cheap. It was a dirty foul, and it's one thing being physical. It's another doing that when a guy is floating in the air, defenseless. And this isn't like a video game or Mortal Kombat. We have a counter move right. in the air. We can turn. Like you don't, you take off. You don't where you're going. And, and that's one of like the scary falls well, that you, that, yeah, you don't like- say. And and for for Gary Payton, how hard he worked to get there, now it's just kind of like. Over, over, like a a, a dump foul, and, and Steve Kerr called it out, and Draymond called it out, and everybody called that out and said. uh And Steve Kerr during the game, they asked him about like, oh, it. was you know, it was tough. He's like, no, no, that was a cheap shot. Like, well, let's be no. abundantly clear here.
0: No, I actually want to ask you about that because look, like you didn't have a forty-inch vertical leap like not quite. Gary Payton or Gary Payton the second does. But like, you know, you've gone up for dunks in the past, and I'm sure you've gotten hit in the air. Like, can you explain? why that is as dangerous as it is and explain why even more so it's dangerous for Gary Payton given that he is a 40-inch well, vertical a lot yeah. 27-inch <laughs> vertical.
1: Well, when I, when I graduated from UMass, I actually played in a, a men's league in, in Brighton, which is right outside Boston. It was basically an excuse for my friends to play a game than drink across the street at the bar on a Thursday. But that, that's neither here nor there. My point is that I stopped playing because of like these situations. Because you, you jump up yeah. in the air and somebody takes out your knees and it's like, for me, like, I'm told for this. I can't blow up my ACL and not go to work for a week. It's like, yeah, I got hurt in men's league. These guys are making tens of millions of dollars. And when you're you're flying, you're floating in the air, the last thing you're thinking of is, is someone behind me going to clip me somehow? You're, you're just singly focused on uh, extending and, and finishing and, and probably, like, landing properly. So your brain, like, doesn't even have time to really process biomechanically I'm hit. How am I going to like kind of shoot, but land and not hurt myself. So it's, it's instantaneous. And and that's like the scary part of it. And there's no way to really protect yourself when that happens during that action.
0: Yeah. And how hard is it for you to land in those circumstances when you get clipped?
1: Uh, I don't want to say impossible, but it's, it's like thinking kind of on the fly. It's never going to be clean. Like you're hit. You're not going to like revert yourself back and like land on your feet. Like you're falling on your side or in your body somehow. And your initial just instinct is protect your head, generally. Like, I don't want to crack my head, which is, is hard to do. So you lead with your hands or your elbows, and, and that's why his elbow got cracked, I think, the way that it did.
0: Yeah, like, I saw that Charles Barkley, and, like, I love Charles Barkley. Like, he said, like, he was advising players last night, like, don't land with your elbows. Like, just land, like, on like, your you chest. Can't or,
1: like, you can't even, like, think that way. You like, can't. I can't about, yeah, that's like, what I was going to say. Like, I feel like that's an Like, ass. all right, we're, we're going to jump in the air and just land in your chest like Superman. Like, that's that's not that just can't happen like you don't you you don't want to think that way too like the basket's 10 feet high you're going up you're accelerating you're taking off you're exploding in the air you're not gonna think like i was hit like here's my parachute like leave my chest like it's that's not gonna happen
0: so you're kind of with me on this that dylan brooks like should
1: be suspended for a game i'd be surprised if he's not right like i don't i don't think there's any way he's not suspended for at least a game
0: like I, I know that they. Ha- I don't know why they, the league hasn't like announced this.
1: Yeah, normally it's like the next morning, right, or like midday. Yeah. Like they already have a ruling on it. But when's their next game? Because playoff times been funky. The Celtics have like five days in between their next game.
0: Yeah, I don't know why the league did that, by the way. Because there's no game tomorrow now, if I remember correctly. So I believe that it's probably Saturday. Is their next? No, wait. No, their game three is Sunday what the f-
1: <laughs> yeah Celtics are Saturday at 330. my time I don't know what time it is in Australia
0: I don't know what's going on there that's weird um, but maybe that's why then they're taking more time because of this essentially um because the schedules off but yeah it just seemed like totally off I I, I don't like I, Dylan Brooks is a tough player like he plays on the edge. But that was, that was too far. Like that was bad. And and like, look, like I know that Memphis fans want to try to equate like, you know, what Dylan Brooks did to Draymond Green's history and everything like that. And like, look, like Draymond Green's done shitty stuff too. Uh, I don't think what he did in game one was nearly as bad as what Dylan Brooks did. But I, I just like, don't, don't fucking drill people in the head when they're, up in the air it's kind of simple to me and i'm sorry that your player should be suspended but he should probably be suspended at the end of the day like don't don't fucking drill someone in the air like period point blank especially when these guys are jumping 40 inches in the air
1: yeah not great i I do i do want to talk memphis just for like 30 seconds here and our guy chucking darts pointed this out to me after we did the the celtics draft build uh, the Grizzlies built through the draft too, and, and did like a yeah. great job doing it. Uh, with, with homegrown talent per se, and even a guy like Zaire Williams last night plays twenty eight minutes, has fourteen points. Like they're they they built that way, not through free agency with with John Morant, with Aaron Jackson Jr., with Desmond Bain. Uh, so it's kind of like a, it also like one of our our draft baby franchises that did it through this way and, and not through free agency.
0: Well, and the way they evaluate is really smart and the way that they go about building their culture is really smart, I think. I I can't really emphasize that enough. Uh, This is a team that drafts really good people that are really competitive. And I think that that more than anything is why, like, I I frankly believe they're just straight up overmatched in the series. Like, I I think that if Golden State is at full strength and they're at full strength, Golden State is a much better team than they are. They're more experienced. They have a bit more lineup versatility. Uh, they can play Steven Adams off the court, like, slash, force Memphis to not even play Steven Adams. Um, and if that happens, like, you're playing Jaron down five, which, you know, then you're playing small. And Golden State's small lineup is better than your small lineup. Like, it, they're overmatched. But I think that the way that they've built through tough, like, physical, intelligent competitors allows you to play above your weight a little bit more and once this team gets the kind of experience that it's going to get it's going to be really tough to beat them like when john Morant's 26 and jaron jackson's which is
1: crazy to say when he's 26 you forget sometimes when you have 47 points a playoff game like how young he is like we, we 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 always hype up like anthony edwards being as young as he is but sometimes like John Morant we forget his youth as well
0: yeah no he's incredibly young I believe he's 23 like he is so young still and Jaron Jackson is younger than John Morant if I remember correctly so like these guys are going to grow and mature and they're going to gain the experience to me this season for them is all about just like gaining experience and then like Zaire Williams by the way like a perfect example of the guys that they draft, right? Like you and I thought Zaire Williams was a significant project. I love the pick for the Grizzlies last year. because He's exactly what they need is like a potential shot creator. That's like six foot eight on the wing who can do some stuff, but the way that they've gone about developing him into a legit defensive stopper and the way that they allowed him to play through his issues early in the year, like we're seeing right now. And again, I'm watching the 76ers heat game. Like, the 76ers in game one, part of the reason that they lost that game was because they had they felt like they had to play DeAndre Jordan because Paul Reed does not have enough experience being able to avoid foul trouble. And he had 5,013 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know why that happened? Because they didn't allow him to play through his mistakes early in the year, which forced them into this position now. The fact that the Grizzlies allowed Zyra Williams to play through his mistakes early in the year is a big part of why. He can have a big game late in the year where when they need someone to step up or when he's rolling like and he's made a couple of shots and he's giving defensive effort and intensity, they can afford to keep him out there. And I think it's a credit to their front office for identifying Zaire Williams as someone that You know, might be able to exceed his frame early in his career due to his competitiveness. And I think it's on the coaching staff as well in terms of developing Zaire throughout the year, giving him game time that was high leverage that allowed him to step up in a big moment like he did yesterday.
1: Boom. Yeah, well stated. Very well said. You got to get the reps on the court too during games that matter, not just like preseason or G League because now the lights are are the brightest and some guys like Zaire Williams shine and then others don't.
0: Yeah, I, I don't really have like a strong take on the Warriors. I think that they're like, you know, them and Phoenix are the two best teams left in the NBA, along with Celtics. And I think that uh, they're on a collision course for the Western Conference Finals. And um, like, I could not be more excited to watch that series. It's going to be unbelievable to see those two teams. So um, at some point, maybe I'll talk about all uh, of an NBA podcast coming over the weekend, and I'll talk about Phoenix and I'll talk about the Warriors a little bit more in depth from a basketball perspective. But end of the day, like I'm I, Penny and I want to talk a little bit more about development. OK. Let's take a quick commercial break. I'm going to send out the uh, the call the oh, bat signal, the bat signal for mailbag questions <laughs> while we're in this break. Hopefully you guys will come through with some good ones and uh we'll be back we want to talk about one more thing draft wise and then we'll do mailbag
1: you should get to the point where it's uh actually like the bat signal with your face on it and people just like no like all right send them in (laughs)
0: Oh, it's brilliant. We should absolutely do that. I'm in, just as I talk here. And by the way, we're back. The Uh, the break uh, has ended, because Penny decided to end it early. I love it. (laughs) Um, Penny, vamp on something while I send out the bat signal for mailbag questions. Whatever you want to talk about. Have you uh, seen a movie? Have you, uh, you know, gone on a mission to find your AirPods again? Like, tell me me whatever you want to talk about here.
1: No mission. I I, I guess my this is my media minute here. I haven't watched much beyond the first two episodes of Ozark because I was gone last weekend and I'm excited. It's kind of gone off the rails, but I'm here for it being the last season off the rails. And uh, my DVR is pretty full right now. So when when the playoffs slow down or there's a a game, (laughs) there's five days between games, it's actually a good thing because I can watch some TV and not worry too much more about basketball as we get closer to combine and workouts and, and all that happy stuff
0: okay the nba draft conversation that we wanted to discuss here was you kind of mentioned in a text to me that you know nobody seems to be like really moving right now it's very quiet we're waiting for combine invites to go out and it feels interesting. Like it doesn't feel like there are very many risers right now. Like, you know, Jake LaRavia does have some steam behind him. It feels like he's one of the names that, you know, is getting a lot of publicity probably in part due to me highlighting him in some respect, but like it feels like after the shade and sharp decision to enter the draft after you know, uh, I'm trying to think some of these workout things that have started to leak out. There hasn't been a crazy amount of movement and it feels kind of quiet right now. And, and that we're in the eye of the storm a little bit.
1: There hasn't been a, a true dark horse guy that, that shot up board significantly yet. And I don't know if that's because the international class from like a, a star perspective hasn't been as high. And, mm. and, and, and I don't, I don't anticipate or, or know when it's going to happen. So I said to you, like, Poku last year was this international man of mystery who shot up boards and and ends up in the teens, and he wasn't, like, quite projected there, but there's rumblings, like, Oklahoma City likes him. There might be a promise. We could be jumping the gun. That might be two, three weeks away, but there hasn't been, like, that huge momentum shift yet where draft boards are upside down because of the intel that's out there says this guy's going way up.
0: Penny, you're, you're really good at this, I, I got to tell you, <laughs> because you, you mentioned Poku, and you yeah. know, yeah, Poku, big seven-foot ball handler kind of project that might work out, might not work out. You know, we'll, we'll see what the deal is with Poku. The jury is still out. I'm still the lead evangelist of Pokuism, the belief that there is between a zero and 100% chance that Alexei Pokashevsky will be a good NBA player at some point. The guy that it feels like has some of that steam right now to me is Leonard Miller. And I, you and I have both watched a lot of Leonard Miller. You've seen Leonard Miller live. Yes. I am fascinated by Leonard Miller. I think the upside is very real. I'm not sure people are totally gathering how far away he is still from like being anywhere near like a viable NBA player the the tools are real and I'll, I'll talk about the tools, but I just do kind of want to give you the floor because you've seen Leonard live and yeah. you know I've watched now I think like eight of his games, something like that. It, it's a fascinating skill set, but it, it it's gonna take a good amount of time and investment
1: I, I like the idea and the concept of Leonard Miller. I watched him live three times this year, I think with his high school team. I did not see him during the hoop summit week where he sort of started garnering rave reviews. And this is the guy and he's draft eligible. He has really good size at six ten, six eleven. had a, a late growth spurt. So he kept the guard skills as he became like a, a front court player. I had the hesitations like you do. He, he's still pretty upright and rigid. He's a little bit clunky off the dribble. He does rely on shooting like over the top and doesn't have like the tightest handle to create and create space. So I'm worried about how he scores within the flow of things on an NBA floor. I mean, he can be a little bit of a ball stopper on the catch where he tries to get his. And at Fort Erie, where he was this last high school season, it, it wasn't a long leash. It was no leash. He, he could do like whatever he wanted. He could leak out. He could not get back yep. to defense. It was his world. He averaged like 30 points per game. Uh, the positives are that he does have offensive versatility as a ball handler, as a cutter, as a post guy mismatch guy but it's still like a, a mystery he didn't play au basketball of the year before because of a wrist injury i have him in the 40s but i, I don't really know what to do with them that's just sort of like please don't miss if you hit great but people like kind of pushing him up to like the 20s of the lottery like i am not there i'm not
0: yeah i think the appeal with leonard miller is almost more like trajectory based than anything like yes he was six foot five six foot six something like that two and a half years years ago yeah something like that um and it when you watch his tape he looks like someone that is still learning how to use his body Like it feels like he doesn't know where his limbs are supposed to go all the time Yeah, because he just is still growing essentially. Like he doesn't know how to like, it's like a proprioception thing where like he doesn't totally know where everything's going to land and like how it's going to feel when someone hits him and like how far his center of gravity has elongated upward. Like when you watch him, it just feels like he doesn't have full control over his frame yet. Which, when you look at the touch, particularly, and his footwork, particularly, as a ball handler, there are really interesting things that he's able to do. Like, the herky-jerky nature of his ball handling ability, it's almost like this weird cross to me between, like, Kevin Porter Jr. and Shea, where he's not is good in terms of stop start is those guys. But like the way that he keeps the ball away, the way that like he can kind of reset his feet in a really strange way while handling the ball. It is interesting to me. Uh, and he does create separation despite not being a great athlete because of that ability to kind of change paces and to decelerate particularly. He's bigger than those guys, which better, yeah. gives them a bit of an advantage. I also think he has really good touch. He has some of the worst shot prep I've ever seen in my life yeah, for an elite
1: level and, and, and it's like he shoots over people in mid-range, but with like a set shot, it's like a little bit lower too and, and somewhat yeah. more of a push. And there's like a lot of movement to like get to where it is. It's not just a catch, you know, simple, simplified type movement totally. motion. I-, I was waiting for like another lefty comparison because he's left-handed. I thought you were gonna say Lamar Odom as like a, a bigger guy because we're just that's interesting
0: to say, like, too. but Not to really,
1: but he's not that is, is why like I didn't yeah. say it. Like some of these guys though, the way they maneuver, like yes, he has body control, but it's still not like getting by guys. Like there's a few possessions when I saw him on Rhode Island. It was like kind of one on one on the break, and like Euro stepped, he covered ground, but the guy like didn't have to move the defender because it. It's like he didn't throw him off his pace. Like, you did your move, but it was still, like, two heavy feet to to get there. And I was yeah. sitting with NBA scouts, and, I, like, in, unless this totally, like, changed the last week with, with the hoops on it, it was lukewarm. It was, yeah, great. There's some stuff there that we'd like, but he's a, a ways away from where we think he would need to be to be drafted by us. Now, it just takes one. Like, one team just has to fall in love with the idea of him more than the the player that right. he is right now. I don't know how high that number would be for me though.
0: In regard to like the shot prep and the shooting though. For someone who completely and utterly changes his mechanics every time that he shoots. Right. It feels like. Like every shot it feels like is a snowflake with his mechanics. <laughs> like it's unique.
1: Yeah, I like that. I was like, where are we going? This is, a, this is like He's, a political line. Where are we going?
0: Yeah. He makes more of them than he should. And I think he has great touch. Like, I think he really has very good touch. And like, he has that little floater game that's interesting. And it makes me think that as he works out with people, if he can get with the right trainer, that could be really beneficial for him. I think that there is a world where he can be a great, terrific scorer and shooter, right? Um, he's a long way away from it though. Cause his handle is way all over the place. There are some passes he makes because like 40 or he just allowed him to do whatever the fuck Anything, he wanted yes. to do where you're just like, Oh my God. Like how oh, did you even,
1: yeah, I mean it's a, it's a negative assist to turnover ratio and I think it got like better and yeah. I don't know their stats, but it was that I, I I didn't see a game and, and that I saw where he had more assists than turnovers. It was all and some of those turnovers, like you mentioned, were like whoa, buddy, turnovers. Like I don't know what the the idea was with that pass. I, I don't know right. what you thought that the end result would be. It wasn't like oh, it's reverse. reverse. Like, a guy jumped the lane. It's it's something crazy cross court off, off one foot and sails out and of I, bounds.
0: And I've seen Shake some people talk about the passing is like a real strength and I I think that it can be a real strength like his vision and the way that he sees the court is really good I think
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's more that whenever you like get into his space and speed him up the decision-making tree goes out the window kind right. of and by the way like we haven't gotten to his defense yet he's one of the worst defenders in this class hey, right now I uh- <laughs>
1: Yes, but it but it's also hard because that's like the no leash when, when he's able to do whatever. I, I think that he yeah. could be based on his size, but without the accountability to do that, he just wanted to leak out. He just wanted to get out transition, make a play. Yeah. He would he would reach re- he would effortless. reach in he'd reach yeah. in and like wouldn't recover. He'd reach in and be like, Okay, miss a shot so I can like go and do my thing and then he'd get up and he'd dunk or they they throw an alley oop to him. So he just was like so offensively driven that I don't think his brain was in the space to think about playing too much defense in the half court
0: yeah like the defense on tape is horrible like it was effort-based like it was just he was not asked to do it really it looked like in any capacity in in some vein like that's actually a really difficult evaluation then like given that the effort just was not there also though like it makes for okay like can we really expect him to be a good defender no I, i don't think you can uh But is there a chance that he could be one day? Yeah, for sure. I think that's accurate. The number one thing that worries me is something you alluded to. I don't think he has any burst right now. Right. Is kind of the concern. Like, he doesn't play with any power because he's really skinny and his body is elongated and he's still working his way into his frame. I think that's how he's going to have to win more than, like, the burst and like the ability to blow by guys he is no real athletic like go if i was him in terms of my decision tree for this draft to take from what i just said i would basically be looking for a first round promise or i would go and do something else i would Mm -hmm. either go to uh, the G League Ignite, like I, I think that there is like a real consideration there from what I gather from his announcement so far that he's considering the G League Ignite. I would consider the college route. I would probably do the professional route as opposed to the college route just because his game right now, if you put him into a college game with the way that college coaches often struggle with spacing – I can see that not going great. Uh, And it would be contextual that would like create more questions about him as opposed to like it being a disaster like for him necessarily. It could be a disaster for him if he averages like eight points a game or whatever and doesn't shoot well because he's still working his way into a shot. But like, I I think that everything about like the Ignite or overtime elite, that sounds more appealing to me for him. I would withdraw from the draft, do one of those two routes if I didn't get a first-round guarantee if I was him.
1: it's a more NBA-type game where it'll still be angles. It'll still be mid-post. And like you said, you're going to see more double teams and weird traps in college where if a spaced-out floor and you play for the G League Ignite, and every G League team averages 125 points per game, if you average 11 there, it looks better than 8 or 9 at the college level and people start asking questions. But he has the size. He does have some ability. Uh, I'm intrigued by those sort of still guard, handle, shot, creation stuff. But he's he's a ways away. You can't take him thinking he's going to make any type of impact on an NB for the season.
0: No, it's absolutely in every single way a project. Like you are, you have to write off year one if you take Leonard Miller, much in the way that, to bring this back full circle, Oklahoma City just had to purely write off Poku year one. I still love Poku, and I'm still intrigued by Leonard Miller long term. Like, I think that it could be real. Like, he could really develop into something absolutely fantastic. I just don't... I I worry a little bit more about the physical tools than I think other people do. I think I'm probably going to end up with him just a little bit higher than where you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, I currently have him at, like, 45, to be real with it. Like, I just needed to put him somewhere. Uh, I, I don't know like how to contextualize him against the class at this stage. I want to see him at the combine. I want to see him like a couple other times. Like I want to, I've watched a lot of his games, but you watch those Ontario scholastic basketball association program or like games. And it's just like, this is not real. He is (laughs) six foot 10 and he is, you know, consistently guarded by guys somewhere between six foot four and six foot seven. That just can't bother him. In and,
1: any way. And those are the lessons we've learned from Poku. We, we've learned that, yeah, probably don't take him 18th or 16th or wherever he was. <laughs> take him a little bit later. We watched those videos of him playing in like a hockey rink that has like a basketball court down and he looked like Matthew him Johnson. playing the, the Greek Second
0: real. League. <laughs> the Greek Second League where guys looked like they were smoking half of a pack at halftime the, and then coming yeah, back. Yeah, where, out where to like play. The, the
1: coach of the other team like shows up with a bag of jerseys, is like five guys on stands, like throw this on, you're playing today. Like that guy's 7 2, whatever, you're playing, like oh, throw my a cigarette. God. Uh, so your level of competition matters too.
0: Unbelievable. Okay. Mailbag time, Penny. Let's do All right.
1: this. Not prep. All right. I'm just
0: going from the bottom here. Talk about Aminu Muhammad and whether he should go pro. So our boy over at rookie scale, John Chipkiewicz, he, and he uh, reported that Aminu Muhammad got a combine invite, which I think is reasonable, like yeah. in every capacity.
1: And and, Um, and to be clear here, how many combine invitations actually go up
0: uh, to start 60 and John reported that very early, which makes me think he got one of the initial combine invites.
1: Yeah. So, so enough. That's that's speculative
0: on my part though, based on
1: timing, but just based on the speculation, there's enough feedback from NBA circles that he's warranted at least being evaluated as one of the top 60 guys ish, right? Like knowing that the top 10 sure. guys aren't going to work out. They'll just m- maybe measurements, medical and call it a day.
0: Yep. What do you think he should do?
1: I mean, what are, what are my options here? I didn't think he was ready. I don't think the shooting was was anywhere close where it needed to be. We spotlighted him. I, I think I'd had him as prospect a week early in the season as a freshman that, yep. that wasn't getting much attention. But when a team goes 0-19 in, in the Big East, uh there's questions about his shooting i like his defense i I like kind of like the way he creates and the physical smash mouth type of basketball that's not like easily translatable to the nba i could see a a world where it works but i don't i don't think that he's ready yet and i i don't i can be way off here i I don't see like a, a first round guarantee either so if he's okay with saying i just want to start my pro career if i get picked in the second round and make my way into a roster great a lot of uncertainty there though
0: yeah, I don't think he's anywhere near ready to impact the game offensively at the NBA level. I do think his energy, his rebounding, his defensive ability could impact an NBA game. Um, I don't think that it will impact the game more than his offensive side will like negatively impact an NBA team. So I think he's a G League player exactly. right now.
1: it's Exactly. It's, it's screaming G League at us.
0: Yeah, I, I think he's a two-way guy. Uh, and basically he'll have to decide on, do I take a two-way deal or do I try and get Georgetown to give me an NIL deal, uh, that will, you know, approximate that. And I develop at Georgetown for another year and go from there. Uh, in terms of what I think he should do, I think that it would be beneficial for him to go back to Georgetown as long as he gets an NIL deal that is, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of, uh, like. Maybe not even what he'll get with a two way, but like where he's at least like getting some sort of financial. Yeah, assurance. don't
1: don't put a number on it. I don't want people like aggregating this and saying like this is what what the market is. The market's already upside down. Whatever he's going to get, like like go get it.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. We actually re- weirdly got a lot of Leonard Miller questions, so I'm glad
1: uh, that check, check check those all off. People are screaming yeah, about I'm that, that we- last last week too, saying can you do a whole podcast on Leonard Miller. Yeah. segment.
0: Uh, okay. From Trevor Zickgraf. Is Jeremy Sohan going to be able to credibly space the floor? If not, how limited is his offensive ceiling?
1: Ooh, that's a, that's good a really good question. By it, way. It, it is because I think his offensive ceiling is beyond just the shooting. I don't think the shooting is like be all end all. I do think it's going to get credible. I don't think we'll be talking about him like we just did for Grant Williams for 20 minutes. I I think it'll be serviceable. I do, but he also has more sort of like creation stuff out of isolation, more stuff out of the mid post. It showed he has some handle to take guys off the bounce. So I don't want to say it's like just the jumper. It's not as high of a level prospect. I think I have him as a, a back end lottery guy. If the yeah. shot was real, we're, we're to me, you're talking about like a top eight or nine guy, but for him, not there yet. That's why I've, I've hedged a little bit, but I, I'd still feel comfortable taking him in, in the teens.
0: Look, I mean, there there aren't a lot of, like, great signs that Jeremy Sohan is going to be a, like, very real shooter at some point, right? Um, I I really like him. I like everything else he brings to the table. Uh, He is someone that can handle the ball. He can act as a screener or he can act as a uh, ball handler in screen and rolls. He can act as, like, a, a weak side you know, bailout option where he can take a kick out and try and score out of isolation. Like he can play center and like weirdly handle minutes there because he's strong enough to do it. Like he is awesome, I think. And the kind of guy that I am willing to bet on is a versatile chess piece that is going to be dependent on shooting. The question's 100% right. But if the shooting comes the rest of the game scales upward so drastically that I think it's worth the gamble on the shooting coming, basically.
1: Yeah, that's sort of where I'm at, too.
0: Yeah. Uh, to, to answer the question, though, uh, is Jeremy Sewing going to be able to credibly space the floor? I, I don't have a great answer I mean, on that. Yeah. I think he has a chance to do it off the catch. I don't think he's going to do it off a of movement. Like, do I think he can be like a pull-up scorer? I mean, there's nothing in his past that says he's going to be like an awesome pull-up scorer or anything. But as a player off the catch, I think there's chance he could do it off the catch. Uh if he doesn't shoot it, how limited is the offensive ceiling? I don't know. Like, you know, can probably stay on the floor in like the dunker spot, can mm-hmm. you know you you kind of need him to be able to knock down catch and shoots on some level, I feel like.
1: You do. He he can also take it off the rim and, and push it up and transition too. He doesn't have to get rid of it. So he can create some too when, when the game's like spaced out.
0: Yeah. Okay. Actually, weirdly, a lot of Jeremy Sohan questions today too. Uh, I am a big fan though. I think the rest of his game scales very quickly if he shoots it. And because of that, like if he shoots it, he's definitely an NBA starter, like no questions asked. So I would take him in the lottery. And I think he's a really good starter if he ends up being able to shoot it at like a 36% clip. Okay. Uh, if Max Christie stays in the draft, is there a chance someone takes a reach on the potential and what's the highest that would happen? That is from NATO Jacobs.
1: Yes, but it would be late. It would be... It was the question in the first round or how high?
0: I think that, like, let, let's ballpark it at first round. Yeah, that's
1: fine. It would... If I were just, without knowing definitively, I'd say probably the 26 to 30 range. He, he needs time. He, he's another guy that needs reps. I'd like for him to go back to school. If he doesn't have a first-round promise, that's what I would encourage him to do.
0: Yeah. Agree. Like, yeah. I, I don't really have anything else to say about that uh, i think there's a chance he goes in the first i think there's a chance i end up with him as a top 30 guy depending on what other guys do and if they stay in the draft don't go in the draft um i i really buy it as soon as the shooting comes along and i do think he is going to shoot it at some point uh, it, the shot looks great there's no no concern there really from draft deeper our friend nathan oh nathan Is it realistic that we may look back and see Kevin McCullough is one of the top 30 players in this class really feel like it could happen?
1: Draft deeper loves them. Some Kevin McCullough. I actually really like Kevin McCullough too. I I thought it was weird that like, Hey, I'm on the draft, but if not, maybe Gonzaga, maybe Kansas. So this has been like a, a, another weird, like transfer portal nil or story. I do think he can do more offensively than he showed at Texas tech. And that was sort of like scheme based. I have to see more of it top 30 yeah possible but I I think I have him like 60th right now so there'd have to be some from jumps for him to make
0: yeah I mean look if he learns the answer is could we look back on him and he could be a top 30 guy yes if he learns to shoot he could be that like if he becomes a 38 percent three-point shooter in the NBA he probably is a top 30 guy in the class because the defense is as good as it is like just straight up like he's what one of the five best perimeter defenders in this class? Like I, I, I think I'd probably take Dyson Daniels over him. I don't know if like anyone else immediately springs to mind.
1: No, uh, somebody yelled at me about who I was missing last time for for a defender. But the shooting is is the swing skill, and yeah. uh, despite work ethic, sometimes like the jumper just like doesn't come around. Which is the answer about Jeremy Sohan, great Williams figured it out. So it, it could yes, but it's it's a major what if too.
0: Okay. From Michael Roth, it seems like a lot of high major teams are loading up their rosters and looking deeper than ever. Uh, Is this going to be the norm with the transfer portal or will players realize that somebody has to be the 10th or 11th man on the team? Uh, He said he points to Ohio State's roster as a perfect example of that. I don't look. I've, you know, looked a lot at Ohio State uh, in their roster as someone who went to Ohio State. I don't. I don't know that the transfer additions they made are that weird. I guess if you consider Isaac likely who I think committed today, didn't he? Did I see that? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Like he, they need defense so desperately that like getting Isaac likely who can guard one through five, like that's an enormous get for them. And like, he won't be a 10th or 11th man. Um, Do I think this is the norm? Yes. I think that the transfer portal from here on out is the norm period.
1: I do too. And and yes, there there will be minute crunches certain places, but the the blue bloods, the higher level schools, the appeal is always going to be there for a kid that transfers that averages 15 a game at, at a mid-major to, to go play there at, at the biggest place that they can go. Uh, does some people learn and, and say, I don't want to go be the ninth guy there. I can be the second guy at a, a high major minus type school. Probably. Unless you have, like, the right people in your ear telling you not to do that, though, you're always just going to have that title pull to, to go to those types of places. So I, I do think the transfer portal is the norm. I, I also do want to say that there's going to come a point in time where colleges reestablish, like, actually recruiting high school kids. There's a lot of high school kids falling through, like, the cracks yeah. right now who are better than the recruiting level. Because when you talk to college coaches, what do you need? I need a big, okay, here, here's the name of, of five high school guys that coach wants to transfer he wants to get a little bit older and i understand it so you take a a 23 year old who averaged six and four at at a low major because you want from mid it's not like as much of a time to get there but when these high school kids eventually start like panning out and you look back at like the data and the history of it and some of those transfers like don't hit we'll we'll see like a, a shift back Long story short, transfer portal is not going anywhere. I, I think recruiting will continue to evolve, but the transfer portal is, is definitely here to stay.
0: I agree. Um, this is from Anamani Black. Uh, do you think Ayala out of Maryland's getting drafted? I, I don't really care about that. No, he's not getting drafted. Um, if you're a middling NBA team, would you rather stay in this draft or trade out for a slightly better pick in the next draft. That's the question I actually like in this one. Um, I am.
1: So we're middling. What, what what range do we say is middling then? I want to be clear with that too?
0: Yeah. So like, I think that he's asking like in the, t- let's say 10 to 20 range, that's the middle, you know, yes, I would trade out of this draft if I was anywhere from 16 on downward, essentially, uh, and try to pick up future picks.
1: I would, unless Unless you see the guy, and it's the the Max Christie, it's the Peyton Watson, it's the Bryce McGowans, who you think in a year is going to go seven, eight, nine, ten. If I'm sitting at eighteen right now and say let's reach a little bit, and this is like the same thing, we don't have to give up an asset to go forward in a the year, then then I would stay on it. But that that's very team specific, and I, I wouldn't say here's just like a blanket statement for everybody.
0: Yep, uh, from Ben Carey. Of all of the great college bigs that won't be picked in this draft, so he lists Drew Timmy, Oscar Shibway, Kofi Coburn, Armando Baycott, David McCormick, I think you could probably throw Hunter Dickinson, you know, a bunch of those guys in, right? So the true college bigs, Mm -hmm. who is your pick to have the best NBA career out of that group?
1: That group, I'd say Oscar Sheba. Oscar Shiba would be drafted if, if he was in this draft. That I, I, I feel pretty confidently about that. there's still the the issues about defending in space and the advancement of his offensive game, but rebounding always translates. And of that crew, I, I'd bet on him to kind of like develop the most and become the the best of that crew.
0: I think I agree with you on Oscar. If he improves defense, like the, the things with Oscar that he just needs to improve on are defensive positioning and mobility a little bit. I think that both of those things are doable within the next year for him. It would probably help him to lose just like a little bit of weight and like just kind of thin out a little bit to try and improve that lateral agility a little bit more. His positioning though is stuff that like is coachable and fixable. And I think that you can probably make that work. On top of that, just the effort and energy and intensity, I think that would be my bet as well. Um, from good friend of the program, Eric Weiss, uh, thoughts on Tyrese Maxey, where you had him mocked, what he's improved on, what did you miss?
1: We missed the NCAA tournament that he didn't play in. I don't even know where I had. I think I had him like 20s. It, it was not high. I, I'm not one of these revisions. I said like, yeah, I had him seventh. Yeah, him being able to to come in and and shoot and also like fit next to the the stars around him was the the biggest thing for me. And the guy has stones; like he, he's unafraid out there. You you can see yeah. now, like he's even like chirping back at guys on his own team, and, and that stuff sticks out when they're actually scoring and playing well too. So yeah. I don't know if I, I missed Tyrese... it just because I like I undersold it and I I didn't think of the whole like Kentucky guard lineage and he'll outperform it and just probably overthought it.
0: Yeah. I had Tyree somewhere between 12 and 14 off the top of my head. I know I had him as a lottery guy. Um, thought he was way underdrafted. Uh, I thought the 76ers got an enormous steal. What did I miss on? Probably I missed a little bit on the burst. I think that he has a little bit more speed than what I thought mm-hmm. playing at Kentucky. Uh and I saw him play for RM5. Like I, I've seen Tyrese a lot. And I always thought not like a crazy athlete, like a good athlete. Yeah, that's, not that's, a, like good, that's a, a good point. Not a fast athlete. Um, like he never really played with the kind of speed that he plays with now in the NBA. I think that's probably what I missed on. He would go in the top 10 for sure. But I, I've always liked Tyrese quite a bit. Um, due to the natural touch, and I've always, you know, just kind of he, – he's always been one of the guys that I bet on at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, and, and not like the the absolute wow, like, ability too, and that's why we have to watch some more of, like, the nuanced stuff too because he's always effective but not like oh, this world end-to-end speed like a guy like Kyra Lewis or or Kennedy Chandler or somebody like that. But, but yeah, he can knock down jumpers and can read, pick, and rolls and manipulate screens, and, and that's been a, a sticking point for him.
0: Yeah. Okay, last question here from Sean. What late first round guy do you think we'll look back on in five minutes as five the minutes? person who's made the <laughs> biggest impact in five years?
1: Oh, uh, pass. Who do who, yeah, I'm pulling up my board here behind yeah, me yeah, yeah. in, in okay. another window? So who, who's your call off the top of your head?
0: Um, late first round guy. I will say I, I'm going to just go to the mat for Jalen Williams. I think that's my guy this year. Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara.
1: Yeah, I, I think Jalen Williams is a good one. Are, are we just like, I don't know. It, it just feels like maybe he's like sort of like the Dark Horses Rising that we were like alluding to earlier, where we just, he was like the name that was always there that, that people pushed up. Uh, babe, You talked about last, last, pod but like Dalen terry if he goes like stays yeah. in draft and goes 28 29 like that would be a good one i think that's like probably my name like a lot of these guys just have like holes or, or questions like i i like terquavion smith but he needs to learn how to play within like a, a team structure like can really score it but he, he's really skin, skinny and how does that work in, at the nba so i'd bet on dale and terry or one of these freshmen that haven't shown it but you hope they get the right place in the developmental system and we say yeah peyton Wasp was good enough but he just didn't play on a final four returning team
0: okay penny uh any any last call outs i've had a couple of people bring up the fact to me that the uh the malachi effect guy this year his name is actually malachi
1: I know I, it's it's wild. Uh, that I, I thought of that. Like in the tournament, I, I, I thought I I tweeted it too. That was not done intentionally, but sometimes that happens. But I I, I, I want to say this. I, I do want to go to the bat for Malachi Branham for a second here. Yeah, it was like half the year. It wasn't just like hey, he he roasted who they play, loyal Chicago, and then um, Villanova, right? Like he had done yeah. this for two months so it's like a longer extended malachi effect but definitely a different one so the theory is probably evolving as we talk about this too
0: okay um let's let's see here any anything else you want to talk about I've, i feel like i haven't seen a crazy number of movies i did see have i talked to you have i talked to you about everything everywhere all at once did we talk about that it, on the you, last you podcast?
1: you did i actually watched the trailer uh with my with my wife 2 days ago and she's like I don't know if this is for me but I'm like I don't Jackie was yeah. like what is this? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know either and every like 10 seconds was something else like stranger. Uh that was the one with like the crazy like weird boss and they're in like another dimension, right?
0: It's yeah, the fact that you said other dimension uh is a good good one
1: it's i mean that's like the preview they show it's it's different worlds uh i I will i'll i'll get there eventually but not uh it's not the top of the list we got to empty out a, a bunch of tv shows first
0: okay i think that's all that i've got i'm trying to think what have laura and i been watching i don't even know right now to be honest like it feels like I have not really. I, I've been abdicating my duties, Penny. That's it. Oh, oh, oh! I know. what I watched. Have you Have you watched Ambulance yet? No,
1: I haven't watched Ambulance. Yeah, I saw you tweeted about it. You wanted to like see it again. Was it as bad as I thought it would be? Is it beyond cheap thrills? If it's just cheap thrills, that's fine. Uh, I'm a how, how dare furious. You? That's fine. But
0: <laughs> Ambulance is one of my favorite movies I've seen in a long time. <sighs>
1: tell you say that every (laughs) podcast
0: it's so good it's so fun jake gyllenhaal is off his face in that movie yeah like michael bay so whoever showed michael michael bay how to use drones we need to give (laughs) that person every single award we need to give that person every single everything michael bay using drones he like flies a drone under an ambulance at one point. I mean, it's... the movie's
1: called Ambulance. You got to do it. But uh, I, like when I see that title, do you think it was like a more of a working title? And somebody's like, let's simplify it. Let's not over. Let's Ambulance. Keep it like really straightforward. People know where we're going at. Like this is the, the focal point of the movie is like in the ambulance.
0: Uh, I am so fascinated by the entire thing, to be honest. like I, I, I love I, I love the movie i loved it go watch it please like seriously homework you will have the best time watching is January. it
1: streaming or do i have to like go and go to a theater theater you can't
0: you'll have to pay for it it's that's like
1: fine. if it's streaming i'll i'll figure that out that could be like a, a celtics play what ah, i think celtics play saturday afternoon so that could be a saturday night watch
0: yeah or like a friday night watch because i don't or tomorrow night evening because there's no basketball tomorrow night
1: yeah that's true Ambulance. let's move (laughs) what are we watching tonight ambulance all right great
0: we're watching ambulance jackie get over it she will (laughs) okay penny tell the people where they can find your work
1: uh find my work find my tweets matt underscore penny and and probably back here again next week in uh in high definition living room
0: okay uh i am in the middle of like draft guide stuff like crazy so i don't know how much i will have written like i have a couple of stories i'm doing with some of our great beat writers over at the athletic uh so go check those out when they come out that's all i've got though until next time we will talk soon